gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 92, the review segment for Friday, October 23rd, 2015. Back to the Future days past. It's still the year of our time, Lord Dr. Emmett Brown. As I was saying earlier, I'm not sick of Back to the Future yet. That's my hot take on Back to the Future. Whoa. Suck on that, everybody else. Uh, David Ehrlich has turned uh, an undetermined age. How you feeling, David? Old. <laughs> well, But as old know. as old Marty... In fact, the future too. I thought you were going to no. say old Nick, the fearsome oh, rapist character wow. in Rome. What, what a segue. <laughs> what a segue. An all-timer. Old Nick's I'm, not that old, though. No. That's true, but they but do call him old Nick. But he is if you are five-year-old Jacob, Jacob Tremblay. Actually, yeah. you're probably around the same age as old Nick. But I don't think David could ever kidnap anyone. No offense, David. I just don't think you have the muscle strength for it. I, I mean, there's a way to say that that is a compliment, and I just don't think that's how you said it. No, no. You could have said it in a way that was nice. Patches, I don't think you could kidnap someone either. I yes, my heart is too big. That. No, see, that's what... No. No, well... None of us are capable of kidnapping, which maybe is part of what makes Room a compelling movie. It is the story of a woman who was kidnapped when she is, I think, 16 or so and uh, locked in a backyard shed. It's inspired kind of by various true stories. I always think of J.C. Dugard, who was, uh, you know, had, I think, multiple children by her captor. There were a bunch of women in Cleveland. There was the guy in Austria. This happens. Fritzel, the Fritzel case. Yeah, that guy. I know that uh, was a, a major inspiration, for, at least this, for the film. It happens with kind of terrifying frequency. frequency. But this story, it, at the same time, feels very unique. It's kind of told from the child's point of view. This uh, five-year-old played by Jacob Tremblay, as David mentioned who's kind of narrating his experience of the world only having been inside room, this shed in the backyard. That is his entire world until, and this isn't a spoiler, uh, his mother kind of hatches a plan to get them both out. And then the movie follows what happens to them after that and how adjusting to the world is difficult and surprising and worthwhile for both of them as, um, as they get out of there. Um, I am one of the, I, wait, okay, I'm a woman, not a feminized critic. For liking room. You guys feminized. might be feminized critics. Yes, uh, we are weak. Uh, because Jeff we Wells, up. famous troll of the internet, has uh, really taken room as his bet noir for <laughs> reasons that only he can truly know. Um, but it has made room kind of an interesting film to be into because it does feel like a, a fun, it's not a fun movie to watch. It's very emotional and kind of <laughs> draining, but it's a real romp. Yeah, but uh, I kind of find my love of this movie really satisfying because it's getting Oscar buzz, because it's kind of making its way through this fall prestige season, which is so often male-dominated. And Room is a story of a boy, but it really is about this uh, mother-child relationship, which is an unusual thing for the kind of movie that gets rave reviews the way that Room has. So I really loved Room. I cried a lot and um, in, have enjoyed defending it to any taker. So which one of you wants to cut me down on room? Well, first things first, we didn't really discuss this beforehand, but this room, or this room, um, <laughs> this movie is bent on a pretty, uh, it's it's spoiler heavy. All spoilers are ingrained in the text. Yes, the, film, the so. trailer, uh, all of the trailers, in fact, uh, make no apologies for revealing how the story develops. I think, yeah, I I think we should say up front here that we are going to talk about all this is going to be a spoiler heavy review all spoilers okay. on the table right. i mean 
I don't think anything I set up is count, counts as I don't c- consider what's in the trailers a spoiler, but well, what's maybe in, you guys do. I, I mean, I think people would. So let's just say, as we're discussing this, all spoilers on the table from beginning to end. We're talking about everything. So go see Room if sure. you want to be totally surprised. But, but we're also, talk about everything. But this is but also, also not a movie that like yeah. depends on some crazy third act right. reveal. So. Yes. If you have not seen the film and you don't hold the novelty of, of seeing the story for the first time uh, precious, <laughs> I don't think that the, the, the conversation that we're about to have, the turns that happen in the movie will come to you as anything of a surprise. Yeah, and I read the book and knew it was going to happen and I still found a lot of tension in it. So I think a lot of it works even if you know what's coming. Well, David, turns aside, what did you think of Room? I had a complicated reaction to Room. I think, um, I think it, it is a compelling story of... Uh, parents and children, the worlds that they create with one another. And I think what's most interesting about it is how um, the extreme nature of uh, their circumstances is is ultimately really not that far removed from a, a normal childhood. I think it just sort of amplifies um, dynamics that you find in an otherwise healthy mother, son, father, daughter, father, son, mother, daughter, whatever relationship. Parent-child. Parent-child relationship. Um, this is just the, the their um, their captivity here is really just meant to uh, push that to, to the fore. Um, I think that Lenny Abramson is probably not necessarily the right guy to direct this. I think that he never really hits upon a compelling visual strategy to depict the uh, their time in room in the, during the first 45 minutes. I think it's sort of all over the place, whereas something a little bit more formally rigorous may have been um, that, that really hammered home that feeling of captivity that, that mm. translated it a little bit more palpably to the well, audience. You, you think of something like Fincher's Panic Room, where you really feel the size of that. Or even stuff. something more, sure, but like even something more ascetic, even something that was a little bit more rigorous and uh, like a locked-off camera that just really... Uh, Translated and made palpable this feeling of confinement could have made the second half more uh, compelling because the the very interesting family dynamics that come into play would have been balanced against the sense of relief of being out of this room that were and of course the characters have with them. I do think this becomes a much better movie when they leave room and when Brie Larson goes from being just a mother to also being a daughter and uh, is most compelling as a character. And she is phenomenal, by the way, in this movie. I think that she is a, really a force of nature, um, but has more to work with when she is trying to reconcile her feelings of being Joan Allen, William H. Macy's daughter, uh, and also being Jacob Tremblay's mother. Uh, and I just wish the movie had... Um, dwelled on that a little bit more. I think there, it, it really could have used one or two more scenes, uh, even if only for the benefit of time. And Especially just with the relationship her. Grow. I mean, a lot of the yeah. movie is from this kid Jack's perspective, so she kind of drifts away. Especially in the latter half, I felt like I didn't get a lot of her comeback story, the way yeah. that she's feeling. Now, that's on purpose because she's distancing herself all of a sudden from her son. She's trying to balance herself out. But I'm interested in that story. I want to know what the world is like to her that she hasn't been there. I mean, my favorite moment in the in the whole movie is when she and her son enter her childhood bedroom, 
which mm-hmm. is such a shock, you know, like Radiohead oh. posters everywhere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I actually I interviewed Brie Larson uh, for the movie, and that's all I wanted to talk about. Like, let's talk about all the posters on the wall. Like, and that's just <laughs> she, fascinating to me. She wrote. Uh, I don't know if she was responsible for picking the decor of her bedroom, she was. but I know oh, that she. she was, yeah. yeah, she wrote all the diary entries of her character really cool. and really tried mm-hmm. to get into it. And I think that this all comes through in her performance. Um, I actually, I know there's been a lot of talk about Jacob Tremblay, but I really couldn't care less about some child performance. I think some faces <laughs> he gives are a little bit of whatever. I just don't, it doesn't really I'm, factor I'm, in for me. I'm slightly with you. I, uh, I think later, she but. is phenomenal. Uh, it's I, hard I to imagine wanted, wanted anyone doing that role better. Wanted more of her, and and you're talking about these moments that you want to see breathe a little more. I think both halves uh, feel a little rushed in that respect because they have to contain so much. There's a lot to this story. You almost want to see it as like an Olive Kitteridge style miniseries where Whoa. at least you get two Whoa. episodes. You get two episodes in the room. You get two episodes outside. Oh my the god! World and I could not have survived more time in the room. Really? I, I needed more time in the room. I wanted to like. I mean, I really like the tension between uh, Ma. I guess is, is her name Ma. Her name is Joy. She, her name but is you Joy. can call her Ma okay. either way. Ma. You don't know that that's her name until much later in the movie, right? I'll, I'll refer to it as Ma. Ma and Jack. You know, uh, as David mentioned, per, very astute that this is a relationship that you do see in real life, even when people are not being held captive. Uh, the, the tension, trying to get kids to behave, trying to get kids to understand the world but there's also a ticking clock you know they have they're having they have an opportunity to escape the room um, and now Jack has to grow up and stop living within the rules of the room the fiction that they've written about this place uh, and how frustrating it is to get this kid to understand uh, I love that dichotomy but it's 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 it feels very rushed uh, and I read the mm. book as well and I still I, I mean I think the book has the same flaw you just want mm. more time even if it's grueling even just to see her kind of rotting in this place to feel the amount of time they spent there and how confined and suffocating it is uh, time is a, the, an important factor i don't think you I, really get that sense no the thing that i wanted to argue with david with earlier is the idea that a formal style of making you feel trapped in there would make sense because it's from jack's point of view he's not trapped in there he doesn't have the sense of this being a stifling place and I agree that you don't get as much of her point of view of feeling trapped in there. But I think there's an archetypal nature to her character, especially where you get her as a person who understandably feels confined and a person who is being raped nightly. And you kind of automatically understand how she's feeling. And Jack's feelings are so unique and so strange compared to the rest of the world. And then when they get out, she kind of turns back into a teenager, basically, because that's what she was when she left there. And that's in a, another kind of archetype. So I don't know that kind of locking the movie more in her point of view is what this movie needed because she kind of works well, as almost a foil to what he's experiencing. I, I don't know if her point of view is, is what we need. I think what David's talking about, and I, I don't know if I agree totally with what you're saying, David, because I like the naturalism when we're in the room, that the camera's just kind of floating around. Excuse me, it's in room. It's, yeah, in, in room, room. Uh, in wardrobe, in sink, <laughs> in bathroom. Um, you know, we're kind of floating around this space and just seeing their daily activities, and it's very naturalistic, the kind of handheld camera and lots of little close-ups, and it's, it's poetic in that way, just very simple. What I wanted more of, and he kind of touches on this, there's a scene right when they get out of room and they're in the hospital, and they're like looking outside the windows to this big city. And for a second, I feel like there's a shot in the movie, I can't totally recall it, but that you get this sense of vertigo. Like the world is so big that mm-hmm. they can't even wrap their brains around it. And I wanted more of that feeling, like stepping into the real world that we know very well 
would feel like vertigo to people who are trapped in the room. Um, and there's just a little bit of sense that, of that. And I think you get it from Brie Larson's performance. But well, I got some of it that doesn't from... have a strong visual identity to represent this transition. Yeah, I, I got some of that from Joan Allen as well, who I think is really pretty great when she emerges later in the film. As, when is she uh, not Joy's great, mom. though? She's great. When is she um, not great? But the way that she's navigating her relationship with Jack and trying to kind of be his grandmother and figure out what that means. And you see William H. Macy's character not able to do it. Like, he can't see this kid as anything other than the product I of love that bit. I totally it's, it's forgot great. about it's, that from the book. Like, having him so, just walk out. That's awesome. It's so smart. And it's such a, I mean, the casting of it is fascinating, too, because you get that he's important and then he walks away. Like, the the kind of metatextual stardom element of it is really Although, wonderful. yeah, my, my pe- people in my theater during the Toronto Film Festival kind of giggled when William H. Macy came on. I don't know why. Oh, really? Yeah, they're That's... like, it, it was it was stardom entering the picture all of a sudden. I mean, I, it worked for me. But I, I think, think on, the, the, on the contrary, it was smart not to cast a recognizable face as old Nick. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, that would have been... Yeah, that yeah, here's really Vincent weird. D'Onofrio as, uh, as the cockroach guy from Men in Black as old Nick. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, part- got an infestation? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the parts of uh, Room that might have affected me most is watching Joan Allen try to be start this relationship with this kid and kind of navigating it and figuring out what it means because there, it is really universal. Like, everyone does go through this period of figuring out how to relate to this new human in their life. And it just doesn't happen in quite as constrained circumstances. And I thought it, it, the moments of this movie that work so well for me are when it just distills these really common experiences in this really extraordinary way that makes you think about it differently. Yeah, I don't, I think. Feelings. I, I know okay, people well, were kind I, of bawling at the end of this movie and I just, nah. I didn't have, I didn't go over the edge in that way. I never really struck. I don't struck... think you have to be bawling to be emotionally well, affected. No, well, I, I know. I, I, I think that it's a fundamentally different experience for people who have kids, which I know is a, you know, None unfair of us do. burden. None of us do. No, but I, I don't mean, know. Like, I have the was... three of you guys on the podcast every week. <laughs> well, when I, when I, I spoke to uh, Abramson, I, I, my first question that I meant as sort of a, a backhanded diss, and I think may have come across was like, was like, insulting you know, insulting your interview subject is a really good way to start. No, he was he was lovely and uh, good to talk to. You. But I, I was just like, is is this a movie that is impossible to fully appreciate if you don't have children? And he was like, quite possibly. Wow. Uh, I mean, in not so many words. He he did not. Don't quote him on that. Uh, I don't have his exact answer verbatim. But um, yeah, I think it definitely it's one of those things that preys on your experience and um, and your fears. And I think that those fears are a lot more real for someone who does have children than they yeah, are for us. But I read about these things in the paper. And no, I, you and read about these me. things. <laughs> You're right. Well, I've never every, been I mean, you probably, I mean, David, you have a niece. Like, everyone has, like, children in their lives who they are close to who they I don't think it's the same. With. Well, I don't think this, it's the same at all. But Jacob I think Jacob Tremblay's it, it, job, like, yes, he's a kid, but he's in this movie and he has to make us empathize with the situation. Of course, but it's like this a love story. Text. Like, how you're never going to connect to certain love stories in the same way as you would have if you've been in love. Or, like, if stories about loss, you'll never feel quite as profoundly if you haven't lost somebody. Like, lost. I think like, oh. Like loss. Uh, I, I think that that's all true, but I think Room really uh, Room. taps into that in a way that some movies don't. I think when you see the disparity in reactions, people like myself who were like the movie and were uh, very admiring of it, but were not really like brought to tears or anywhere close to it, and then people who were just wrecked by it. And I think I'm not saying it's one to one where it's like people who have kids are decimated by this movie and people who don't are not, uh, but. I think it's probably something to the idea that people who have kids are a little bit more susceptible to its power. 
Yeah, maybe I'm just old enough to think about having kids in the future and therefore buy into these things, which is what Inside Out did, too. I mean, I was really touched by Jack's climb back, like when he starts making friends or when he befriends um, Brie Larson's stepdad, I thought was a really sweet Mm -hmm. scene with a guy who, like, minor character who I I didn't recognize the actor and I figured... Either he's going to, like, molest them or something. Oh, or, God. I don't know. I just thought more horrific things were going to happen. But no, he turned out to be really nice and uh, had a great moment. That scene with the dog, like, oh, the dog. makes me emotional thinking about it. Very cute dog. Very um, cute dog. But, like, where does it go? Like, where does this end up? Like, saying goodbye to Room <laughs> is very, that, is that very scene. touching. I had some problems with that scene. I, I don't like, know. I don't know if this if room sticks the landing. Like I really appreciate everything it's exploring and the way it navigates itself to the, that conclusion. Um, and just what about how it reuses oh, a yes. song from? So like, here's the thing. It's yeah, uh, we sometimes a movie yeah. claims a song and sometimes it doesn't. And there's really only way to know, which is to use it in another movie. Now, there's a song that I would never really listen to outside of the context of the Moneyball soundtrack by uh, by what's it called? Death. Uh, it's called This Will. D- it's uh, before this, by this no. Will the band you. is This Will Destroy You. The yeah. song is called The Great. Uh, the Mighty Rio Grande. Rio Grande. Rio Grande. Whatever. And uh, it's it's <laughs> something that I closely associate with Moneyball in part because I've never heard it in any other context. But anyone who's seen Moneyball will recognize this song I from its no opening few notes. I have no idea what we're notes. talking about, and I have it's seen Moneyball. It's dun dun. You were in Moneyball. Come on. I know. I heard dun, it. Oddly enough, oddly enough, I'm pretty sure. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, they use another uh, This Will Destroy You song in Foxcatcher. But this the, the same song comes up in Earth to Echo, if you've seen Earth mm, to Echo. Oh, as we all have. And but, now uh, it's in Room. They play the song at the most pivotal, yeah. dramatic juncture of the movie. And like as they're escaping from Room. And it completely took me out of it because I was like, no, this is not your thing. Like I Also, it I'm, could probably have been a silent scene like it didn't it probably would have been better as a silent scene yeah it's a very strange choice and yeah it's so connected to moneyball or it will be for so many people it's a little odd but then again i found it pretty thrilling as well i don't want to under oh man the people around me in that when that scene would happen were like flipping out like you could just hear people because they were scared yeah like people were really nervous and upset like like shouting like no at the screen i mean i had read the book and i still was like Oh yeah, me too. Because I kind of forgot yeah, how it all went. Exactly. And I think it may be different. It's different in the movie. I don't know. I haven't read. The, I read the book a couple of years ago. But yes, moratorium. The on, book on is. That, so. uh, I have I, not read. The I book, do but... agree in general that if a movie is notable in one, if a song is notable in one movie, it should never be used. Which is why Hollow Notes, you make my dreams come true, needs um, to stop being used. Well, unless you have like a way of sort of making it your own, I don't think that just using it for the emotional effect when it may have been out of place was the right call here. But. Uh, yeah, I haven't read the book, but I, I do believe from what I've been told that it is very, very, very faithful. Well, I mean, the author of the book wrote. Of course. Yeah. But, you know, the, the main difference being that the book is written and narrated by the Jacob Tremblay character uh, with a very kid-speak POV. And the movie um, doesn't have the same luxury. Although I do believe well, the I movie think... uses uh, voiceover, right? Narration. Yeah, the the yeah. kid is is talking about leaving room or mm-hmm. I don't what know. happened to the, his it, mom. I think it drops out in the middle as a lot of voiceover. Yeah, does. it goes in and out. But I mean, I feel like the whole movie has mm-hmm. that voiceover through visual language. Uh, I mean, very clearly. And you know, every time you see an object, you hear that kid's voice being like, "Goodbye, train. Goodbye, or car. you do at goodbye, least." Goodbye, bed. 
I obviously, as someone who leaves movies and can't stop repeating weird lines from them <laughs> to myself alone, lost track of time. I kept just saying, "Hey, hey, Bye, son. room." I think I lost did it on the last time. episode of podcast, actually. I think you did. Did you say last episode of podcast? Last, uh, <laughs> goodbye, podcast. This is a terrible movie for articles. <laughs> for the word. Uh, um, room. Yeah. I mean, I, dun, nothing you guys dun. have said has. I think I can actually agree. But I mean, I don't know. I saw it a while ago. It had a big emotional impact on me. The critical stuff or the uh, kind of detailed technical stuff. I feel like I need to see again. What, what moment, just to wrap up here, like what really triggered your emotion in this film? Like was there a, a, a detail? Was there a beat in one of the performances or something that just really I think like I was you? saying like I was saying the, the Joan Allen uh, stuff at the end when she uh, cuts his hair and she's kind of been like waiting to do that and she has this moment and she's kind of like learning to speak his language and figure out how to have that relationship I found that really moving and then the dog the dog was really cute it's weird that this movie gets to a point in time about these survivor stories where like Brie Larson is doing interviews about it and selling mm-hmm. her story like it just feels like so much for the movie to get to um, and it, and it seems distracting. I get that it's part of the survivor story, and that it's it's this rush of stuff that happens to you when you return, and you're totally not prepared for it because what you need to do is acclimate to the real world. But I don't know. It just feels like what is the point of this movie? <laughs> I kept thinking, wow, and the human condition. No, love, it is. It family. is family. Totally, totally. Um, but it really never. I don't know. It doesn't coalesce. It does not come together for me. But I love individual moments. Brie Larson is wonderful. I I dug Jacob Tremblay. Maybe that's the end point here because David oh. David threw him under I the bus. I think we should go like Shakespearean area where all the women were played by men. I think in movies all children should be played by adults. I really only object to kids being in movies when it comes to Oscar campaigns. I just I don't want to see this kid campaign for an Oscar. It will break my heart. I just. Let him go to school and have a well, whole life. I he's can't. gonna be he's so the star quotes. of the I know, the BMG. I know. I know. Wait, BFG. really? Wait, yeah. The BFG, really? No, 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 no. Sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, the kid from Mr. Holmes is the star of the BFG. Oh, oh. no, Jacob Tremblay is gonna be in Colin Trevor no, Trevorrow's new movie, which means oh, goodbye, God. Jacob Tremblay. Oh God. Goodbye, Colin will. Trevorrow's new movie just... is like a Sundance, like shot in black and white for eight dollars, sort of thing. So who knows? I just, uh, I don't know, kid actors, never never let your child become an actor. It's a horrible thing. Wow. I mean, he's good in the movie. Come on. He is good in the movie, but I just, like, I'm just thinking about how his life is going to be cut, totally thrown into people by going to all these brunches with grown-ups. Like, ugh. <laughs> brunches? Uh, well, he had room. Brunches. God, no. No wonder he was weeping when they went to see Room one last time at the end of the movie. He was like, this he, is he my career. It. It's over. Goodbye, Room. I mean, what do kids hate more than brunch? Room. <laughs> it's Goodbye, fair to hate room, I guess. chair. Goodbye, <laughs> childhood. Goodbye, Goodbye wardrobe. Goodbye, war room. What was this week's lightning round question? Yes, it was in honor of Vin Diesel and his new movie, The Last Witch Hunter, which I hear some good things about. 
I'm, no, you don't. I'm excited. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm excited Here to watch this on HBO. There's a you realize that our listeners have to spend money to see movies. No, right? I know. I, I I am removed from that process. No, well, it, it'll be on David, cable. you will watch it 10 times on HBO. I, I, I will it not. It looks, you know, I know that Vin Diesel's into Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I'm into Dungeons and Dragons. This movie could be cool. I have a theory that Underworld and, and like the shitty blue-gray color pattern that it grafted onto these like gothic monster movies ruined that whole genre but this isn't of- blue this is has like flaming it's you know what it's like it's like that movie um was it outlander where the uh the alien yes, yes. assassin like goes back in time to viking age and kills monsters or some shit that movie was rad that's gonna be like last witch hunter it's gonna be great anyway okay. in honor of vin diesel and the last witch hunter what eccentric star should get their own nonsense franchise. And what is that nonsense franchise? <laughs> okay, I want to go first because this one made me laugh out loud. Okay. Julian Fadul says, a series of films where Joaquin Phoenix and a big dog drive around in a van and solve mysteries. <laughs> I'm imagining Inherent Vice meets Scooby-Doo. <laughs> no, I'm imagining like the dog from Beethoven. Oh, yes. I think, oh, I think his name is Beethoven. It's such a good idea. You know what I was wondering? <laughs> is Beethoven... The movie based on George Harrison's rollover Beethoven, or what? what no, it? oh, it's based on Beethoven, the guy. How is it based yeah, on Beethoven, the guy? <laughs> <laughs> he slobbered a lot when he played. Everyone knows that. <laughs> oh, so when course. do you answer this about the song "Rollover Beethoven"? I, I think maybe they heard the song "Rollover Beethoven." They're like, "Huh, a dog." Yeah. So yeah, we. It's like a dog. There should be a movie. Anyway. We should find this out. Uh, David, how about you? Uh, I am going to go with Aaron the Damned on Aaron Hammond, Aaron underscore Hammond, who says Daniel Day-Lewis as the method man, a private detective who uses the method to become a master of disguise. <laughs> you, The best part is that you could cast a different actor in the role every week and Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> could just collect a paycheck. It's like Doctor Who, but a film series. <laughs> that would be amazing. Although it should right, be a Patches, sequel to Dana Carvey's Master of Disguise. Yeah, I, about, I knew you were going to bring up uh, I'm a turtle. turtle. I'm a turtle. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that movie's genius, clearly. If we could both uh-huh. do that, it's made an impact. Uh, you both took my answers. So third place, no, not third place, first place, the, the third first place is uh, Ray Sesmet at Nito4G. Am I pronouncing that incorrectly? Sure. Uh, he says... Tilda Swinton as a Helsing mm-hmm. type who fights every kind of monster but vampires. Very campy. Mm. Let Swinton have fun with it. As opposed to let Swinton be dragged through Hollywood hell and, or something. Or I mean, underworld who, we'll, see, we'll see how Doctor Strange treats her. Oh, God. Well, she already had, she survived Narnia movies. It's true. So that's something. But uh, Very true. I want to see Tilda Swinton like running around with blades and shit. This is such a good idea. And like Universal is constantly trying to make money off their monsters. So this is a great way to do it. The the asterisk here is there's no vampires. So I'm not exactly sure what type of monsters. Maybe Frankenstein's monsters. Like a horde. They haven't done that yet, right? Swamp things. No more hordes of zombies. No more hordes of werewolves. Hordes of Frankenstein's monsters. Mm. I guess they're kind of slow. They're very slow. And dumb. Um, well, that does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week, back here in room. Talk about whatever there is to talk about. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. Yes. Goodbye, Matt Patches. Good guy. Goodbye, senior writer at Esquire. Goodbye, <laughs> at Mr. Patches on Twitter. Goodbye, fightinginthewarroom.com. I'm 
David Ehrlich. I'm a staff writer for Rolling Stone. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, David Ehrlich. Goodbye, Skylight. <laughs> 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 Goodbye, bed. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. I'm at VanityFair.com and on Twitter at Katie Rich. K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Goodbye, basement. Goodbye, microphone. Goodbye, David and Patches. Goodbye, audience. <laughs>